blanket and some sunblock. It's time for lying on the beach on camera. Lowest state. Welcome to another edition of Lying on the Beach. I'm Steve Greenberg with Lois Whitman Hess. And today we're going to talk about something which has been on the mind of many folks. Uh, on June 24th, we were all shocked to learn that a uh, condo tower in uh, Surfside, Florida had collapsed. We've since learned that 97 residents died in that collapse. So uh, it's been on a lot of folks' minds who live in high rises that they have to be asking themselves the question, is it safe? Are we next? What can I do about this? How can I ensure that where I'm living is a safe place to be. And to help answer some of those questions, we have joining us today, Jonathan McClintock. Jonathan is the district manager for KW Property Management and Consulting. He oversees 14 luxury high-rise condominiums in Miami and Broward counties, including one in Surfside. And Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us. And I'm gonna start off with some basic questions here. First is, is high-rise living safe? And second, what can residents do to inspect their own buildings to kind of ensure that the structures they're in are safe? Or is there anything they can do? So let's start off with, what do you think? High-rise living, is it safe? Do you have extra concerns now that you didn't have a month ago? Well, first of all, thank you very much, uh, Lois and Steve, for having me on the, the program today. Um, first and foremost, my prayers go out to those who have been affected uh, by this terrible tragedy or those who know loved ones who have been affected. Uh, this is very close to home. And as we all know, Miami and Miami Beach is a very close community. So, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's common to, to know people or be close to people that have been affected by this. Uh, Stephen, to answer your question, uh, is, living, is high, rise, high rise condo living safe? I think it's important to understand that we still don't know what caused this collapse? Uh, it's been three weeks. Uh, we have all kinds of inspectors from all over the world looking at this thing. Uh, but the primary focus has been saving uh, the survivors or the potential survivors that are there. So that's really been the focus in, in clearing the site. Uh, but we still don't know. We still really don't know what the cause is. And I think it's important for everybody to calm down before we really understand what the cause is. Uh, if you're in your building and you see cracking, you see some spalding, that is normal to a certain degree. And I know there are a lot of people that are looking and inspecting their own buildings that they live in and they're seeing these things. They're seeing spalding, they're seeing some cracking and they're freaking out because they didn't notice it before, but obviously because of this tragedy, everybody's looking, they're seeing this stuff and it's raising red flags. Um, that is normal to a certain degree, but again, a lot is gonna change once we really find out the cause or the causes uh, of this tragedy, and that will really give us an idea uh, for what we should be looking for. To answer the second part of your question, what can what can residents do to inspect their own buildings? First of all, the city of Miami, the city of Miami, Miami Beach, the city of Surfside, all the municipalities, all these municipalities are, are sending out letters to buildings that are over 40 years old, uh, buildings that they've inspected that have uh, issues that need to be addressed. So the cities are mandating uh, that these buildings bring in engineers to look at the whole building, to provide reports, to give the associations and the board of directors uh, a directive to repair uh, any deficiencies that need to be repaired. 
So uh, it's great that residents want to get involved. And for those that want to get involved in their buildings, I highly recommend that you attend your board meetings, uh, whether that's monthly, weekly. Uh, right now, I know a lot of buildings are having more board meetings than they normally do, uh, as there's a lot going on, especially the buildings that may have received some of these letters from the city mandating ins inspections by engineers. Um, taking it a step further, uh, consider joining your board. Uh, a lot of associations have elections that may be coming up at the end of this year, beginning of next year. Consider uh, you know, joining your association and, and playing a role uh, on the board of directors. So um, there, there is a lot that you can do as a resident, but uh, hopefully your board is being transparent uh, with the residents. Uh, KW Property Management is definitely preaching that the associations uh, are transparent with their residents. Let them know what's going on so that the residents can feel comfortable uh, and confident that the association in conjunction with the management company, if there is a management company, uh, are doing what they're supposed to be doing uh, as far as making sure the buildings are safe. So Jonathan, I mean, that was a great, I mean, I, we feel so educated by what you just said. So it brings up a very sensitive point. I live in a high rise building on South Beach and you just get the feeling that the board, you know, is a, a figureheads and they don't really understand the dynamics of what's going on in the building. And if they do, you know, being in Miami Beach, they're part-time residents, so they worry about it for an hour, then they go off to their other lives or their other residences. So I don't get the feeling that my particular board is really addressing this in the way they should. Of course, they feel they they say they uh, they are. However, their answers uh, they're just not in the communications business. They don't understand how to answer residents, you know, um, you know, with questions, and they kind of like sidestep everything. So we have a lot of Zoom meetings, but you know, they just stand there like you know, pretty pretty boys, and they don't answer anything, or they you know, they have a standard way of a soundbite. You know, oh yeah, we're looking into that. Oh yeah, we're, you know, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good, good point. Let's talk about that. And you never hear about it again. So I don't know how anybody in any condo, because I, I speak to a lot of people, how any how anyone in any condo can feel confident at this particular stage that their condo is being addressed properly. So I would ask a couple of questions. First of all, being does does the association have a management company in place? Uh, we we you know first and foremost, it's important to understand that Champlain Towers was a self-managed building uh, who did not have a professional property management company in place. Um, you know, as a management company, we we are there to help you communicate with your residents. We are there to help use our expertise to guide you uh, as an association. Uh, so that would be my first question uh, to you, Lois. So my question, my answer is, yes, we do have a management company, but I've, I've been in the public relations business for 40 plus years. And most of us are account executives. And we basically do and say what our clients tell us to do. So while the person that we have here is probably very capable, I could tell by meeting with this person, uh, this person, I'm trying not to say he, she, I'll say they, you know, the new they, they are not really being as candid and upfront with us. They are telling us what the board is telling them to do because they want to keep, um, 
you know, uh, the business. And if they really go out on their own and aggressive and doing what they think they should be doing, you know, chances are they won't be with us a year from now. So I get that impression. How, how do I know that? Because I'm in the PR business and I could, I could hear the tone. I could see the body language. I could see the frequency of answers. They are just under the guidance. I think it's, I think it's worth pointing out going to addressing what Lois saying is that she doesn't know if, if, board and management company are doing the right thing or doing the wrong thing. You can't, it's hard to even know that. No one really knows that, especially if you're not on the board. But what she does know is that she's not getting the communication she wants to get. So if she was getting the communication she wanted to get, she, she'd sleep better at night. I think that's what I'm understanding, listen to. Because you can't say they're doing a bad job. You just don't know if they're doing anything or nothing or whatnot. Is that, am I hearing you properly? Yes, you're hearing me properly. However, um, I think it's all uh, kind of like uh, uh, it was. It was all dress rehearsal already. They know exactly what they're doing. If they get too many of the billionaires that live in this building involved, then their their job is going to be much more difficult because too many people are asking too many questions, and they just don't want to be bothered with it. But if we all felt they were doing the right thing, we wouldn't be asking all these questions. But these billionaires are busy on their yachts and their castles and, and you know, in their, you know, magnificent home. So, they, you know, they're just like, you know, when they're available, oh, yeah, you know, I want to be on another board. I'm on the board of Harvard, Yale, well, and this, and this, and this uh, you know, kind well, of. Well, the real, and the other issue is that all of these boards, now, Lois lives in a very high rise building with, you know, where she has billionaires and people in yachts. You know, I, I live in a less fancy building where the board, which I'm on, is not made of billionaires. But I think in either case, uh, I mean, it's all about communication. And, and again, these are volunteer boards. No, none of these people are structural engineers. I mean, you don't usually get a structural engineer on your board. So you're, you have to depend on outside people, getting outside people. And that's really why I want to ask Jonathan now. Right now, just finding structural engineers, getting their time, Getting them to do what the city and county want is a lot because everybody wants a structural engineer who meets the parameters of what the county's asking for. And it's really tough to, to meet that requirement. How do you answer that? Yeah, it's very tough right now. And as you can imagine, um, all of the engineers in, in the city in South Florida, uh, really in the state, are, are swamped. You know, they're booked. We're calling engineers who are turning away business right now. Um, it's important to understand too that we're property management professionals, we're a property management company, we are not structural engineers. So something that we have been doing at a lot of our associations where this is an issue, where we are battling some of these issues as it relates to concrete restoration and cracking, we're bringing in the engineer to address the residents, to, to present the findings or to present uh, the process that we're going down uh, to, to correct any deficiencies in the inspection process. Um, uh, Stephen, you're, you're absolutely correct. Right now, it, it is very difficult uh, to get engineers to your property. As I said, they're very, uh, they're very busy. And, you know, fortunately, working with KW Property Management, we have relationships with a lot of these larger uh, firms who are able to uh, prioritize um, some of our buildings for us. And, and that's very, that's, we're grateful for that. Um, but yeah, it's absolutely a challenge right now. Uh, I would definitely suggest that you, you get ahead of it, you get in line. You know, this is pretty straightforward. If you're living in a building 
uh, or you're on the board of a building that you have concerns, you've gotten a letter, you have to get an engineer to, to inspect your property. It's pretty straightforward. They're going to inspect your property from head to toe. They're going to give you a report. They're going to let you know if there are deficiencies. They're going to let you know how critical some of those deficiencies may be. Some issues may be, uh, you know, something that you have to address right away. Something uh, isn't as urgent, but you're going to have that report that's going to go to the city. And then the board has to, you know, make the decision to, to correct those issues. So this is all pretty simple process. So Jonathan, let me tell you what happens, you know, at my end. So yes, the board brings in, you know, analysts right away to, you know, look around and tell us what's going on. And then we get on the Zoom calls with all of these engineers and construction professionals and everything. And then they contradict each other. Oh, that guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Oh, you know, you should really be doing this first. Or that should have been addressed a while ago. So you're sitting there like, and then you're listening to everybody who's an expert, you know, as a resident, who thinks they're an expert as a resident, or, you know, on the board, you know, giving answers that really lead to no place. You get off an hour Zoom call, and you, you just feel that nothing has happened. And you know what, Tholos? I think that is the problem, not only at a condo board, but it's a problem at uh, the FDA and the CDC and every kind. Ab absolutely. Because I've been you, dealing with men for 54 years. Oh, I, I wouldn't even blame <laughs> men. I would blame humans. So no, men. I, years you've been dealing with humans, but they're, they're very tough. And so I find that like, uh, we bring in experts experts, one expert says this, one expert says that, and then ultimately a bunch of non-experts, a board has to make a decision. They're hopefully making a decision not based on, um, you know, I mean, it's, it shouldn't be based on money, but money is always a factor because how much money you can you can pull up from your constituents. So it, it's, it's a tough, uh, it's, it's a tough balancing act and, and you make compromises along the way. I think in the case of what happened in Surfside, it's an example of when when everything goes wrong, that's what happened there. I think in most realistic situations, one or two things will go wrong, but not everything will go wrong. And so that little bit that goes wrong isn't enough to hopefully cause tragedy. In the in case of Surfside, I mean, you had every single thing possibly go wrong. A self-managed building, uh, a bunch of residents who don't wanna pay uh, an assessment, a lot of in-fight bickering, real construction problems that were probably ignored. All of that together equaled a disaster. I, I think for most yeah, of us, yeah. that hopefully isn't gonna happen. You know, Steve, and I, I, I'm really addressing this to Jonathan. I believe, you know, with my experience in business, I believe Surfside, um, I think like all those things that Steve said are something to make fee people feel better now about themselves. Like, okay, my building, you know, doesn't have all those problems together, blah, blah, blah. If, if we ever get to the truth, I believe that there was something, a greater force that made this happen. Steve and I have debates or arguments well, about, it, about it all the time. But I, I feel like there will be an answer. You know, there will be something, and maybe it will never be discovered. But, you know, I don't think a negligent board or a negligent construction could bring a building down like that. I mean, it's just, it just, it just boggles your mind. And, and now we're hearing all over the world where buildings have fallen down, but, you know, and, every, and we're all scared to death. So and Jonathan, look, go ahead. I mean, I, and I'm trying to address this too. If, if 
every negligent board equaled buildings collapse, right. there'd be very few standing buildings in That's South right. Florida or in the world. Right. I, mean, cause let's, I mean, every board is at best a volunteer committee. That's all it is. Just a bunch of people from the, your neighborhood who are making some decisions that really they, they probably don't have any right to make, but they do because that's the nature of how elections work. But other than that, I mean, you know, you do the best you can. But if it was, if, if, if the score of the board equals this, the building's uh, structure, there'd be, you know, a lot of down buildings. So I don't think uh, that's necessarily the case. Now, Jonathan, you like, you have 14 buildings under your umbrella. Would you say they're all the same structurally sound or you see some buildings are more trouble than other buildings or what, what do you see as a, a professional? Yeah, we have a range, um, you know, the, the class of property that we have in our portfolio ranges in age from, from new construction, new development properties to properties that were built in the 60s and the 70s. So uh, we definitely have properties that are not affected, that are still in their infancy, that are still, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, getting close to that 40 year mark. Uh, for the 40-year recertification, but we also have properties that are over their 40 years that have completed their 40-year certifications, uh, some that are working on their 50-year certifications, and some that have already completed their 50-year certification. So, you know, listen, this is an education for a lot of people who are not familiar with condo living. It costs money to keep these buildings up and running. You have to invest money into these buildings over the years to keep them safe. Um, you know, it's important if a building doesn't have a reserve study that's done, that's a great roadmap. Uh, to help fund your reserves so that you have the money to make these repairs so that the board, when faced with three, four, five million dollars and more of concrete restoration and waterproofing and things like that, they don't want to put, they, they want to kick the can down the road for a number of reasons. They want to get reelected. They don't want to be the bad guy. They don't want to pass the, the, the terrible two words of property management, special assessment. Okay, so they don't want to they don't want to be that person. So they kick the can down the road as far as they can. This is not the right approach. It's important to, you know, reserve the funds early. So you have the money that's there when you need it. And that's what we recommend uh, to our associations. And unfortunately, that's not necessarily the case across the board. So Jonathan, I'm looking for a scoop. What is what is the chatter behind the scenes of what people of your caliber and people in your profession thinks really happen in Surfside? No, there, there, there's a lot of chatter and it's not necessarily in my inner circles. You know, the news media definitely is contributing to, to some of that. And we really don't know. I've spoken to a, a number of engineers that, uh, that are very familiar uh, with, with the way, um, you know, with, with how buildings uh, structurally are, are put together and how they need to be. We really don't know. It's a combination of many, many different factors, and it could date back uh, to the developer. I know that some concerns have been raised with regards to the developer uh, and, and at the time that the building was built. So I think we'll get some more clarity on that. I really don't want to speculate uh, at this time, uh, but I think that uh, the, the answer will come, and I think we will, we will eventually know exactly what happened. So is there any, like, out-of-space um, uh, answers that you've heard from other people that are really wacky? Oh, sure, sure. We've heard all kinds of stuff, you know, that it was terrorists, uh, missiles coming in from the beach, um, all kinds of stuff like that. So there's definitely... <laughs> and, and those both, actually, both of those stories came from Lois, so I just want to point that out. That I didn't hear from Lois, so they're definitely going around. Uh, they're definitely not coming... I started them! <laughs> he started both of those rumors. I just want to make that okay. clear. 
Well, that's what the course. You made their rounds down here in Miami, that's for sure. <laughs> right, right. Um, go ahead, Steve. I, I, I was going to say that um, I, I don't, you know, we, we mentioned it in the very beginning, and you, know, you look at falling and see cracks. Is, is there any validity to owners walking into their lower garage or looking around the pool or whatnot and seeing, for, looking for pooling water, cracks, exposed rebar? Is that just nonsense for them to do that? Or is that something that really could, can be helpful at least alerting their board to what's going on in their building? Listen, it doesn't hurt, you know, reporting information or sending pictures to the board or to the management company. You know, it, it is helpful. And, and um, you know, obviously with what just happened, there's there's reason to be somewhat concerned. Uh, but again, the, some spalding uh, is is normal uh, concrete, uh, you know, by the by the beach, by the water and all most of the properties that we manage are, are waterfront properties. So it happens. There is a process to repair uh, and rejuvenate the buildings. Uh, if you see structural support, if you see some structural beams, uh, and again, I'm not a structural engineer by any means, but certainly uh, we're all getting a crash course in structural engineering here over the last few weeks. Um, you know, if you see big support beams that are cracking, that's surely something that you should be concerned about. Um, but, you know, in, in, in doing the countless walks that I have uh, been doing over the last few weeks and over the years with these structural engineers, uh, a lot of the spalding that you see uh, does not have any effect on the structure of your building at all. Uh, that's just the nature of us being close to the salt water, us being close to the ocean, uh, and that deterioration of the concrete. And and I always I have you know residents calling me up because uh, I'm on my board at my building, and I always say, look, if you see something that concerns you, take a picture of it, but get it to the manager, get it to the board members, send it back to me, so that you know your concerns are our concerns. And hopefully we can check it off if that's not something that's serious or if it is something serious, pursue it. But I, I think that's, you know, it's it certainly, you know, more eyes, more brains looking around can't hurt. And, you know, you should, you know, you, you walk into these buildings, you go into your apartment, you leave. It, there's nothing wrong with spending a little time walking around and really looking at it with a critical eye. Like, is, does this look right? Does it, why is this door not closing properly? What's What's happening to the frame there? I mean, all that makes sense to, to look at. So I don't see anything wrong in having residents. No, this is you know, a lot of residents have come out of the woodworks who are, um, you know, structural engineers or engineers of some uh, yeah. some uh, part in their past lives. So that, that that's happening. But again, if you're in a building that's, um, you know, over 30 or 40 years old, you more than likely have received a letter from the city mandating an inspection to be done within 30 to 45 you know, to even 60 days. Um, so, so your building's going to have to be looked at by an engineer. So it's great that you're reporting the cracks and you're seeing the spalding, send the pictures, uh, but your, your board, um, or the association uh, is mandated to get it, get it inspected more than likely. If you have concerns and you're seeing the spalding, you probably uh, are living in a building that, that, um, that has received that letter and is going to have to get that inspection done. So once that inspection is done, you're going to really know um, you know, what, what condition your building's really in and how concerned you should be. So Jonathan, why isn't that really a mandate for buildings that are 20 years old? Well, listen, there's the 40 year certification process, which has been in place for quite some time. I think that as a result of this uh, catastrophe, uh, we're going to see some, some changes to that process where we may see a 30 year certification or even some milestones before that at 20 years. Um, so that's that's definitely something I'm sure that the officials are looking at. 
uh, that they're going to put in place. We'll see how long it takes for that to happen. So one thing before we leave, because we only have five minutes left, is there anything that you could tell residents on how to approach a board so that uh, we are much more productive than the way, the way we are today? Um, I, I can ch chime in. Don't question. scream and yell at your board member. There's no point doing that. As someone who's received screaming and yelling, all I'm hearing is, why are they screaming? Why are they yelling? I can't, I can't even hear what you're saying when you start yelling. So no, you know, calmly, rationally, how can we work this together? That always works better than screaming and yelling. That's, that's my take on it. Jonathan, what's your take on it? I definitely agree with Stephen. Yelling and screaming doesn't, uh, doesn't get you anywhere. As I mentioned earlier, attend the board meetings. Um, different boards uh, operate in different fashions. So, you know, it may be sending an email and maybe it's speaking to the property manager. It may be saying an email to the board directly or again, addressing them directly at a, at a board meeting. Um, but listen, hopefully you're at a building where the board is being transparent um, and letting the residents know what they're doing and hopefully they're doing the right thing and doing what's ex expected of them with this regard as far as uh, getting their buildings inspected. And if your board isn't being transparent, then, you know, demand that transparency, demand a board meeting, you know, demand a, uh, uh, at least a notice go out. And again, we're, we're um, you know, we're really putting that out there to our buildings, that transparency is really crucial uh, and that the residents deserve to know what's going on and what's happening. I think great advice. I think, can we sign off on this? Oh yeah, I think Jonathan has been just, he's just, he's really, he made me feel like I took a Valium. Oh. <laughs> cool. Okay. Or, 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 wait a second, a Valium with a smart pill. Uh, well, I, I, I'd say if anything can get a smart pill and a Valium into her, that's pretty amazing. So uh, we appreciate it, Jonathan. We may have to have you back oh. on a regular basis just to give Lois a Valium. Thank you very much, Jonathan McClintock from KW for your advice, for calming us all down. Hopefully uh, we've learned some lessons from this podcast, but also from the situation in Surfside. We'll, of course, keep following that as well. And uh, once again, uh, I'm Steve Greenberg, and I'm with Lois Whitman-Hess. And we have been lying on the beach. Stay safe, everybody. Bye-bye.